Well, as always, it is our joy to open the Word of God together and ask the question, what does the Bible say? So we're going to be asking the question, what does the Bible say from James chapter 4, verse 13 this morning? James 4, 13 through 17, what does the Bible say? And consequently, how should we then live? And as you're turning to James chapter 4, I want to, I want to tell you a brief story um, by way of introduction to, to our passage this morning. And this story is about a young man who thought he had it all figured out. You all know someone like this. And in our story, this young man, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this thing out, right? He'd seen some of his peers maybe a few years ahead of him. They'd gone off to college and they decided, maybe I'll try this university and then I'll try that one. Maybe I'll try this major and then I'll try that one. Maybe I'll go here and then I'll go there. And he said, you know what? I am not going to be that guy. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to get in. Four-year degree, boom, in, out, done. Efficient, effective I have it, the plan. I know which university I'm going to. I know what major I'm going to do. I know in four years I'm going to stand there with my little thing and, and people are going to clap and I'm going to move on because I've got it all figured out. Now in God's goodness to this young man, it wasn't quite two years into that major that God said, young man, I think I have a different direction for you. And now he was faced with a decision. See, this young man had a plan, but now that plan wasn't going exactly the way that he thought it would. And he needed to decide, would he continue in this major? Would he switch schools and go to this Bible college? Would he move to this other state? And he had all these things that he had to decide. Well, in God's providence, this young man very neatly was able to squeeze that four-year degree program into six years, just as he had originally planned. During that time, this young man now had found himself married to a young woman. They had more decisions to be made. They had to decide which apartment they would live in, when they would consider buying a home, when they would start their family, what size family they would consider. It wasn't long after that they had more decisions to be made. You see, the doctor had informed them that due to the wife's newly diagnosed condition, conceiving was not going to be as easy for them as it might be for some others. They had to consider what fertility options they would consider, which ones they were comfortable with and which ones they were not comfortable with, how far they would pursue that. Did they need to consider other alternatives to building their family, the one that they had longed for and desired? In the middle of all this, they need to consider taking a job in another state. They could take job in state A with salary A, or they could take job in state B with salary B, and all the implications that go with those decisions. In God's providence, they would one day be pregnant, and this young man and young woman had to decide at 32 weeks sitting in the triage room, and the doctor said, we need an emergency C-section, or your child is going to bleed out and die. What would they do? How would they proceed Years would go by, more jobs, more states, more salaries. Would they put their kids in public school or homeschool them? Would they consider private school? As God continued to build their family, now the doctors showed up again. And this time they said, due to extensive scarring after four consecutive C-sections, we do not advise that you pursue further biological children. Was this God's sign to them that their family was done? Had they grown to the extent that God had determined for them? They had other things to consider. In God's providence, they would go on to adopt, 
But as they considered adopting again, a global pandemic shut down international adoptions to the country that they were interested in. Was this God's sign now? Was this God's plan for them now? Was this the decision that God had for them now? How would they proceed? What would they do? A few years later, and they had to decide again, would they move states? Would they leave the place that they had been? Would they leave the church that they had served in faithfully for so many years? What were the implications of that? How would they decide? What would they do? And eventually, this individual, no longer a young man, would have to decide what introduction that he would give as we come to speak about James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 this morning. You see, if you are like Angela and I, you have had a lot of things to decide over the years. You have had a lot of plans in your mind. And if you are like me, in your arrogance, you thought you had it all figured out. Sometimes we think we have it all figured out. We think we've got a God. Hey, tell you what, I've got a plan. Could you just sign here at the bottom? Because I I think this is the way it's going to go. And that is the way that we approach our life sometimes. If you're like me, just in the past few months, years, you've had some weighty decisions to make. Potentially, even this morning, you're having trouble focusing because there is a decision that is weighing on your mind. There is a plan that is weighing on your mind, and you are trying to consider, what does God want me to do with that? What does God want me to do with my job and career, with my family, with this relationship, with my education, with our children, with our aging parents, with my health, with my portfolio? James 4 is going to give us some insight here as we proceed into James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 this morning. Let's read together. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say... If the Lord wills, then we will also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right things to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Our main idea for this morning is that believers should live active lives of faithful dependence. Believers should live active lives of faithful dependence. What we are not going to see James tell us is, hey guys, pump the brakes. Stop, pause, don't do anything. Decisions are hard. Let's, let's sit in our easy chair and let's just, let's just think about this one. No, that's not what James is going to challenge us to. He's not going to tell us to be inactive. James is not going to tell us to be passive. James has called us, God has called us to live lives of faithful activity. Obeying him in dependence on him. That is what James wants to communicate to us this morning. And we see that first in this example of self-confident living. An example of self-confident living in verses 13 and 14. James says, come now, you who say. Come now. This is, this is an imperative. He's like, hey, come over here. You guys that are saying these things, come over here. We need to have a conversation. Come now, you who say. Let's talk about this. And what James does is he's crafting this hypothetical uh, conversation, right? This hypothetical person, he's done this before. We saw this earlier when he said, someone may well say, you have, right? We saw that in chapter two. And he's doing a very similar thing here. He said, come now, you who say. Come on, 
Let's go. Let's have a conversation here. Let's talk about what's going on. Let's talk about this plan that you say that you have. And he does that by introducing four verbs. We see these four verbs in verse 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. We will spend a year there. We will engage in business and we will make a profit. You see, this hypothetical person that James has constructed to have this conversation with, he uses these four verbs to describe his plan. We will go, we will spend, we will engage, we will make a profit. I'll get to that in a minute. I didn't give him good notes for my slides. Um, We will make a profit. He says, I'm going to do this thing and then that thing. I'm going to do this plan and then that plan. He says, I'm going to do it within this time window. He says, I'm going to go to such and such a city. I'm going to go, spend, engage, make. I've got it all figured out. I know what the activities are. I know what the timeline is. I know what the plan is, God. I just want you to make sure that you hop on board. I know exactly how this year is going to go. I'm going to go there. I'm going to spend a year there. And in that time frame, I have an outcome that I am expecting. And that's going to be something key that we need to think about as we go through this passage is this person saying, I have an outcome that I am expecting, right? He doesn't just have a plan that he's planning. He has an outcome that he is expecting. He's going to go there. And in this specific scenario, the outcome is a business engagement and a profit. Now, before you turn your brain off and you say to me, Ben, well, that sounds great. But see, I rarely travel. And this passage says they're traveling. In fact, when I do travel, it's definitely not for work. <laughs> and when I do travel, um, I'm definitely not making any money while I'm there, right? So that's, that's, that's great for this guy. But before we turn off our brains too much, we have to consider that it is not James' intent to narrow this down to just business people that travel and make money on their business trips or lose money on their business trips. Depends on how well the business is going. No, what James is trying to say is he is trying to use a practical example, practical real-life example of what it looks like for you or I to plan our days. And he's using a practical example that would relate to the people of that day, right? Merchants that would go along the road and engage in business and engage in trade. But we're going to see later on, especially in verses 16 and 17, that James makes claims and he makes instructions to us that are independent of our demographic status. So this is just James giving us an example of self-confident living where we can see this individual whose goal is to guarantee the outcomes that they desire. His goal is to guarantee the outcomes that they desire. On the next slide, Craig Blomberg writes this. He says, the general statements of today and tomorrow and such and such reveal that James writes this about anyone who makes any plans separate from God. The consistent use of the future tense verbs, we will go, we will spend, we will do business, we will profit, shows a confidence that these plans will be carried out. There is no conditional clause to mitigate the certainty these planners exhibit. They intend to travel and stay in a foreign city in a time when travel is not always safe. Then they expect to do profitable business there. They have the time and the places all set. Everything is secure, and they do not think at all of how God might regard their plans, right? Have you been there? I've been there. I did not think at all of how God might regard the plans that I had set for myself. Their boasts reveal their arrogant attitude toward God and the truth of his sovereignty over their lives. Now, as we think about that for just a moment, my question to us is this, is are there areas of our life in which it is easier or harder 
to be self-confident. Instead of God-dependent. I'm seeing a few nods. Does anyone want to brave enough and bold enough to share? Oh, okay. Okay, so when we don't have knowledge about a specific area, maybe it's easier to be God-dependent than self-confident because we're like, oh, like this isn't my area of expertise. That happens to me a lot, by the way. Like there's a lot of things like water's leaking in my house. I'm like, God, I need you. I don't know how to find out where that water's coming from. It's somewhere. Right? Anything else? What else? Easier to be God-dependent versus self-confident. Okay. Okay, so the things that you do, kind of, this is a little bit similar to what Joseph was saying, like the things that we do, the things that we're repetitive at, like those just become just the normal course of order. We don't have to think about them. We don't have to trust God for them. I, I know how to do that. I do, do, do it every day. But those things that are maybe different, that's a little bit more challenging, right? Cool. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when, when it's our health, right? And I, and I think what God does for us is that he, he shows us, so I think our, our tendency is like when things are either A, going really bad, or, or B, really hard, then we're like, oh, God, I need you, right? I think it's easy for a guy that's saying like, hey, business is booming. I'm going to travel over there and make some money, come back. It's easy to do to live our lives in those day-to-days, that kind of work-life balance um, that was just shared about, to say, like, I got this all under control, God. I don't, I don't need you. I got this figured out. You know, but we must be careful as believers that when we plan, we do not do so uh, with this example of self-confident living as we see here. James continues in verse 14. Verse 13, he said, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Then verse 14 he says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Warren Wearsby says, these businessmen were making plans for a whole year when they could not even see ahead into one day. He said, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. James says we cannot plan with arrogance what we do not know. Proverbs 27.1 also says this. He says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. See, it is our boasting, it is our arrogance that says, God, I've got it all figured out. I've got it all planned out. This phrase, what your life will be like, it's these basic things of life. It's, as was mentioned, these things that we do every single day, right? You don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow. By the way, this word life is repeated, or at least the root word is in verse um, 15, where he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. He said, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow because it is the Lord's will that will determine if you will live tomorrow, if you will take a breath tomorrow. The very first thing that we have to acknowledge here is that even our life, our breath, our health, our daily bread, it's all from the hand of a sovereign and good God. Right? We somehow take all of those things for granted and like, hey, God, I've got these figured out. I know how to make breakfast. I know how to eat. There's food in the pantry. Like, I know how to do this job. I've done it before. It's just a repetitive task. I've got it all 
figured out. And James says, no, wait a minute. Even your life, your life tomorrow, the fact that you will wake up and you will have breath in your lungs and not be in the hospital with a heart attack is because God has willed it to be so. Earlier in James, we saw the verse, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Somehow we forget that we have a good God. We recognize first that everything that we have received is from him, even our life. James says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, and yet you think you've got it all figured out. You think you've got the whole year figured out. You know, the great thing about being a parent is sometimes you think you have your evenings figured out. You're like, all I'm going to do tonight is sleep. That seems like an easy task, right? It's like after 11, a couple weeks ago, all the kids have been in bed for hours. I'm going to sleep tonight. That's my plan, Lord. Now, God's plan was that my daughters would trade off retching for like the next seven hours straight. And I would be tired the next day. And I was like, well, God, that wasn't my plan. I had a better plan. I had a plan that I was going to be healthy tomorrow. I was going to be alert tomorrow. And God says, no. Even the little things of life, even our health, even our alertness, even our awakeness tomorrow, we do not have fully in our control and our command. They're healthy now, by the way. Thanks for asking. But you've been there. I've been there. We think we have it all figured out. And then we wake up one day and it's not what we thought it would be. You see, we're struggling with outcomes that are not what we had desired. I had a plan for my family and it's not going the way that I thought it would, Lord. You know, I was going to get married at this age. I was going to have kids by this age. Two girls, two boys, a dog and a half, maybe a hamster, right? Like that's what was going to happen, and it's not going the way I thought it would, Lord. That relationship where that individual isn't going the way I thought it would. My friendships aren't going the way I thought they would go. My health is not where I wanted it to be, Lord. James says this, verse 14, he says, You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We are transient compared to eternity. Psalm 39.4 says this. He says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. That breath that shows up in the air on a cold morning and it immediately vanishes away. That's the mist. That's the vapor. So how do we maintain a right attitude regarding the transience of this life? How do we do that? Give me a couple of examples of how do we maintain an attitude on a perspective on that which is transient, that which is just a vapor, and, and that which lasts. What are some ways that we can encourage one another to do that? Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Just think about it. Say it out loud. Meditate on it. Remember it. His plan. His plan. Yeah, we reflect on the nature of who God is. All, I mean, I think a lot of this just boils down to we forget who God is and who we are in relation to him. We have forgotten that he is sovereign and we are not. He is master and we are slaves of righteousness. He is father and we are child. Thanks, Mary Ellen. What else? Our identity is in Christ and not our circumstances. Yeah. 
Yeah, when those outcomes don't turn out the way we want, it's easy to let that define us. I thought I was going to be at this point in my career right now. I thought my family was gonna look like this right now, and because it's not, I'm not the person that I thought I wanted to be, God. And we have lost the fact that we have security in our identity in Christ. Thanks, what else? Yeah. The utilization of trials. How do we respond to the trials in our life? You know, the, I'll be honest. I think, I think when Wade was introducing James a couple, uh, couple months ago now, I mean, the thing that is just stuck in my mind, I think I said it to Angela even yesterday, is that I'm not perfect and complete lacking in nothing yet, so God is doing this thing on me right now. And I can resist that. I can rebel against God, or I can walk faithfully to him. What a, what a perfect Example of what we should be doing here. Yeah, James gives us an example of self-confident living. He says, come now you who say. And then in verse 15 he says, instead you ought to say. Those who are saying this thing, instead you should be saying that thing. Instead of living in a self-confident way, James gives us a model of God-dependent living. God gives us a, or James gives us a model of God-dependent living through his word. He says, let's come away from that way of thinking, from that way of speaking, and let's substitute this instead. In contrast to this example, they come now, you who say, this is how a faith-filled believer should be acting. He says, instead, you ought to say, James chapter 4, verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. In contrast, the faith-filled believer should act this way. He should speak this way. He should say, Lord, if it be your will. Lawrence Richards writes, faith comes into direct conflict with pride and the human tendency to rely on one's own self. Arrogance, boasting, and approaching life as though our lives were under our control rather than in God's hands is likely to grow with success and accomplishments. That kind of harkens back to the statements we were saying earlier. The things that we think that we've got figured out, it's easy for us to ignore God in those moments and in those ways and in those spheres and scopes of our lives. Faith maintains the awareness that we are each dependent on God, and faith frees us to relax in the assurance of his loving guidance for our lives. I love that. Faith frees us to relax in the assurance of his loving guidance for our lives. You see, there's great risk in being self-confident in the way that we live, is there not? When you are dependent only on yourself, then by definition, you are limited by your own power, your own knowledge, and your own wisdom. Um, and by the way, that's a terrifying thing. I, I, I would argue that you and I are severely handicapped, right? We do not know what tomorrow may bring. We don't have that kind of wisdom. We don't ha- have the strength to solve all of our problems. I can just walk around my house. There's things I know how to fix and there's things I don't know how to fix. And recently, it was hot around here. Maybe some of you noticed, it's been hot. And uh, I had an air conditioner problem and my kids are like, it's hot. And I'm like, run to the other corner of the house. Like that's the only skill I got right now. Like, go run around outside in the sprinkler, right? Um, I, I, I don't have the skill set here. This isn't, I don't have perfect wisdom here. I don't have the strength to handle all of my problems. I don't have the wisdom to navigate every situation. When we live in arrogant, self-confident living, we are putting our confidence in a finite person, right? That's what we're saying. We're saying, like, I've got this plan, 
And, um, and now I'm going to roll it out. I'm going to execute it. I'm going to ensure all these outcomes by the strength of my own will. That's a dangerous place to be. James calls us to submit ourselves to God. We saw this earlier in the chapter. Submit, therefore, to God. He reminds us of this in verse 15 when he says, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. It is a conscious recognition of the relationship of our will to his. That's what it is. When we say, if the Lord wills, it is a conscious recognition of the relationship between my will to God's will. That though I may not know what tomorrow brings, my Lord does. He will not be surprised when you wake up tomorrow. You and I might. By the way, I may not have the strength for what lies ahead, but my Lord does. There may be a challenge tomorrow that in my weakness and in my frailty, in my finiteness, I'm like, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't have the strength for this. My Lord does. You and I may not know what we should do in every situation, but our Lord, through his indwelling spirit in the life of the believer, can empower you to make a decision based on the principles of his holy word, based on the counsel of fellow believers. So that with a clear conscience, you can decisively step out in faith, knowing that the outcome, well, not knowing what the outcome will be, but knowing that there is a God who is faithful, right? He has given us that ability in him through his word. He has said that this book gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. He has said that this book will equip us for every good work. He has not left us empty-handed. In verse 15, it says, if the Lord wills, and then it's followed up with, we will also do this or that. By the way, nowhere is James saying, stop making decisions. He's saying, no, you've got to still do this or that. You still got to go to this place or that place. You still got to take this job or that job. You still have to feed this kid or that kid. They will tell you when you have stopped feeding them, by the way. Like, right? Like, it's a thing. They're like, Dad, like, aren't we going to eat today? We don't get to stop making decisions. Nowhere does James say we stop doing things. James is not saying that we stop planning, we stop engaging, we stop traveling, we stop doing. But in verse 15, James is making a point. When he strips all that away and he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Because see, the decisions are not near as important as the attitude that James wants us to take. Those verbs are not as important as the reality of aligning our will and our mind and our hearts to God's. Because all those other things will follow suit. If we are living a life that thinks first and foremost of if the Lord wills, then we will say, great, well, if the Lord wills, then how do I make this decision? What does the Bible say? What do fellow and faithful believers say? How can I pray about that? How can I meditate on that? How can I think upon that? But it starts with a recognition that our will is subject to his. If the Lord wills. Maybe you're here today and you're talking about how many kids you should have in your family with your spouse, when you should start a family, when you should stop building your family, where you should live, what job you should take, how long you should work there. If you think you're being compensated fairly, is it time to leave? What if the situation with your employers or your employees or your coworkers isn't going the way that you thought it would? There's a lot of decisions that cannot be boiled down to chapter and verse. 
Parents know that. They're like, Lord, my teenagers, the best word I can use right now is being a teenager. And I don't know what to do. Where's that Bible verse for that teenager? When do they start working on their learner's permit? When do they get access to devices that give them access to more information than people had for thousands of years? Are they ready for that? How do I prepare them for that? What does that mean? What do I do with ailing parents? What do I do with my adult children? Do I live closer to this one because they're nicer to me? Do I live closer to that one? These are all decisions that we have to make. Now, God in his kindness has not given us chapter and verse for all these because he has given us liberty in his goodness to think what does God say in his word and then how do we live based on the principles therein. So we make those decisions with the help of wise counselors. We make those decisions in unity with our spouses. And then through prayer and meditation on his word, we say, if the Lord wills, and we step out in faith. We don't stop making decisions. In fact, I would say we make decisions more confidently, more decisively, because we are saying, Lord, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but you do. So I'm going to make this decision as best I know it in light of your word, and I'm going to step out tomorrow. And I may get surprised but you will not, and you will be there by my side, faithfully. You know, there's a common phrase, maybe you've heard it, hindsight is 2020. Has anyone ever heard this phrase? All right, quick show of hands. How many people believe this phrase? Yeah, okay, yeah, no one's, yeah, all right, we got a few. We, you definitely learn a lot in hindsight. And for years I thought, hindsight's 2020. yeah, that makes sense. I had a pastor years ago, I was, I was leaving one state, I was moving to another state, and I was trying to decide which church to attend. And I'd been researching churches online, I had read their statements of faith, I had listened to sermons by the pastor, and I narrowed it down to three churches that were within the area that we were moving to. I didn't know a soul in this town. Uh, and Angela and I are just, we're stepping out in faith, we're making a decision. By the way, we'd chosen company B with salary B and state B. That was the story from earlier, right? Um, so we're moving there, and we're like, Lord, we don't know what to do. And I had a pastor at the time, I said, hey, help me, like, how do, how do I know what to do? And he gave me a piece of advice, and I'll share it here. Um, you can decide whether you want to take it or leave it or not. And I said, do I, like, just show up at one? I'm just like, hey, we're here. You know, do, I, do I attend, you know, three churches on three consecutive Sundays? What do I do? And he gave me two pieces of advice. And the first one was this. He says, Ben, if I were you, I would show up at church one and stay there until God gives you a reason to leave. And his rationale was this, and he said, because if you attend three different churches on three different Sundays, and then you step back and say, well, what do we think about these churches? He says, our human nature, our sinfulness wants to compare them on the non-essentials. Oh, this guitarist was better than that guitarist, and uh, you know, this pastor's jeans were skinnier than that pastor's jeans, and like, you know, this children's ministry. Like, like we're gonna compare them on the things. He's like, but if you show up, and they're teaching the word, and, and, and they're speaking the truth, and, and there's true Christian fellowship, and they're preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He's like, stay there and be faithful. And I was like, wow, that sounds like great advice. And we did, and we served in that church for five and a half years until God took us away. But this is the second piece of advice that he gave me is this. He says, we think that hindsight is twenty twenty. He says, but if you show up, and if after six months you say, you know what, this isn't working out. This, this isn't the church that God wants me to be in. It's like, we've got new information now. Things that we didn't know when we made that decision back then. He says, your tendency is to look back and to second guess things and to question and to whatever. And he says, that would be foolishness. 
because you are not infinite God, you are a finite man. And God led you to a decision based on the information that you had at the time. And you may look back and be like, oh God, I know why I spent the six months here, or maybe you will not. But God was refining in you, Ben and Angela. He was refining in you. He was encouraging the flock there. He was doing things that you may never know until eternity. But do not be so arrogant, Ben, as to sit in judgment on God and say, like, God, why did you make me this decision? Why, why was I here? Because, see, Proverbs 16.9 says this. It says, the mind of man plans away. I'm not to that one yet. That's Proverbs 19.21. I know, I give these guys terrible notes. Proverbs 69, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord directs his steps. See, we plan our way, but we trust that sovereign God will direct our steps. We don't somehow say, God, how did you lead me into this horrible decision? We say, God, when I made that decision, I didn't know that this would be the outcome. I just said, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But I'm trusting you. I'm continuing to walk in obedience to your word. I'm going to make a decision and then wake up tomorrow. And I might have to make a different decision. But I'm not going to question the outcome. I'm just going to faithfully come to you again and again and say, Lord, give me the wisdom. If the Lord wills, I will live and also do this or that. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. If the Lord wills, I will eat at Whataburger or McDonald's today. And if driving down the road after I've made my plan, I find out that the Whataburger is closed for renovations, I will not sit in my car and weep and wail and say, God, Lord, how did I get here? I don't think I can survive without a Whataburger. Even just a Whataburger Jr. would satisfy my hunger for today. You know, I will not question that decision because I am not in control of the outcomes, but God has called us to faithful obedience. But we do that, right? We have a plan for our career. We have a plan for our, our marriage and our relationships. And then when we show up and we're like, wait a minute, God, we, we have forgotten who is sovereign. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. If the Lord wills, the Lord, the ruler, the sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. There was a quote I read earlier. I'm just going to read the last phrase again. It says, faith frees us to relax in the assurance of his loving guidance for our lives. Faith frees us to relax in the assurance of his loving guidance for our lives. What freedom there is, what rest, what peace there is when we put ourselves into the hand of a sovereign creator. You know, I've just over the last few months, I've chatted with multiple people in this room and multiple people in the area, multiple friends and family about job outcomes that have not been what they thought they were going to be this year in 2023. About family outcomes, about financial outcomes, about health outcomes, about living arrangements, where you would be. And they weren't always the plans that you had set for yourself. And what you said in your mind is you said, I'd plan my way, I'd set my course. This was going to be my career, my job, my company. This was going to be my family. And then you find out that it's not what you thought it was. If we are acting in a self-confident, self-reliant way, then we just sit there and we wonder, what did I do wrong? How did, how did I make the wrong decision? How did I not have the strength to pull it off? Could I not have just grinded it out by the strength and force of my will and my ability? What, was I not able enough? How come that job interview didn't go the way I thought it was? Am I not 
good enough? Why didn't I get that house that I wanted? Why didn't my family situation turn out like I wanted? But if we are living in a God-dependent way, then we say, Lord, I was planning my way, but I was trusting you to direct my steps. That interview that I didn't get, I think it prepared me for the next one. I'm not sure if that's what you were doing in my life, God. I plan, but you're directing me and I trust you. Here I stand and I will follow you again tomorrow. I'm building my family not in the way that I thought I would, Lord, but I'm building it as you are directing me and guiding me and leading me. Remember he says this in verse 15, he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this. He's saying we will live. If the Lord wills, we will have life tomorrow. You and I will have life tomorrow. We will have breath in our lungs and God will say, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is an opportunity to walk in faithfulness to him. You know, we all like to think about what is in the future. We like to think about what we're going to do. And James says, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. That's the baseline. The baseline is that our sovereign creator, a God who loves us, will give us the ability to live and breathe and walk faithfully for him tomorrow. Now, the fact that he says the do this or that, it's not James' way of saying that, remember once again, that the planning that that person was doing earlier was wrong. He's not saying that you shouldn't engage in business, you shouldn't go on a vacation, you shouldn't travel, but James is saying that the plan itself isn't the most important part. The important part is the attitude of the believer with respect to the decisions and attitudes that we're making. What is our mind oriented towards? What is our heart oriented towards? Are you and I living lives of God-dependence, faith-filled obedience? Proverbs 19.21 says, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Lamentations 3, I love this Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Paul also recognizes the importance of being subject to the will of God when he said, always in my prayers making a request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Paul, a couple different times in his writing, said, if the Lord wills. But the interesting thing is Paul did not say it every single time. Paul talked about traveling a lot. He talked about going here and there a lot. He talked about visiting this person and that person a lot, and this city and that city. And he didn't say it every time. Why? Because if the Lord wills is not some lucky charm that we throw around. It is not a badge. We don't put it at the beginning of a sentence or the end of a sentence and somehow say, nailed it. I said, if the Lord wills, I think I'm covered. No, it is not a magic mantra. It is a state of faithful obedience. It is a state of faithful submission to our God and Father. So if this, if the Lord wills, is not a magic mantra for us, how do you and I foster a God-dependent perspective on planning and decision-making? How do you and I think about planning and decision-making, and how do we do that in a God-dependent way? What are some things we can do? Continually in prayer. We remind the Lord in, his, in, thank, in thanksgiving what he has done and what he, we trust him to do.
we bring it to him in prayer. What else? Meditate on what he's given us daily. Yeah, meditate on his word. Think about it. Think about the truth. Think about the nature of who our God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As we're coming to the Lord in prayer, God is refining our hearts. By the way, there's things that we can do. We can say, if the Lord wills, I will take this job of this company or that job of that company. There's things that we can't say. We can't say, if the Lord wills, I will engage in infidelity in my marriage. The word of God is clear, right? And so when we come to God in prayer, we don't get to say, hey, God, help me, you know, get this um, promotion over this other person that is more deserving than me, right? Like, right? like when we come to God in prayer and we think about what does it mean to pray to God, what does it mean to think the way that God thinks, just that act of coming to prayer helps us. You know, I, I may have told you before, there's been times in my life when I said, God, I can't pray because I know that if I prayed, I would actually have to walk in obedience to the thing that I was praying about. And I was like, don't, and I couldn't pray, Lord, help me be reconciled to this person because I was harboring bitterness in my heart. And sometimes we don't bring things to God in prayer because we're afraid, like, if I bring them to God in prayer, then I have to hold them loosely in the hands of a sovereign God, and I want them right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have to step out in activity. We have to be faithful. We pray, we meditate, we consider, and then we just do something. We just do it. God is not hiding his will from us. It's right here, by the way. There's a great book uh, that I give to every high school graduate. If your high schooler graduates this year, send me a note. I'll give them a free book. It's the same book every time. It's called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. And he talks about what does it mean to live actively under the will of God. But just do something. Any other thoughts? Any other ways that we foster God-dependent perspective in our planning and decision-making? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. just to make a practice. There, there's wisdom in a multitude of godly counselors, Proverbs reminds us. I mean, I, I've been there too. You know, I'm just going to keep you know, airing all my sinfulness here. But there's times I'm like, I don't want to go talk to that person. <laughs> I know what he's going to say. Faithful, godly person. He has a divergent view than me. Don't want to talk to him about this topic, right? But there is, there is wisdom in a multitude of godly counselors. And then in God's you know, goodness to us, he's given us the liberty for those things are not clearly displayed in scripture to us to step out in faith. James says, um, so, so we do this, we put um, this God-dependent perspective at the forefront of our minds and thoughts. And the reason that we need a God-dependent model for living is because self-confident living is an evil thing. It is an arrogant thing. And so that's the last 
two verses we're going to look at is a warning against arrogant living. A warning against arrogant living. Um, in verse 16, we see this. James writes for us, but as it is, this but as it is, he's referring back to, remember 13, 14, he says, come now you who say, instead you ought to say, but as it is, so he's referring back and he says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says, you put your arrogance on display is really what he's talking about. He's like, you take your arrogance and you're like, hey, this is what I'm talking about. I'm the one that got me here, this credential, boom. You put your arrogance on display when you hold tightly in self-confident, self-reliant hold on your plans. You boast in your haughtiness, your false pretense. John writes in 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone is in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Verse 17, the world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. John says that caught up in this lust of the world is this boastful pride of life, this boastful pride about what you have done, about decisions you have made, about outcomes you have achieved, but the world is passing away and the one who does the will of God lives forever. The commentator Blue said, self-centered bragging must be replaced by God-honoring trust. The cure for boasting is belief. The cure for boasting is belief. He says, all such boasting is evil. This word evil means wicked, worthless, sick, diseased. And I, I love that word picture because let, let's be honest, self-confident living is a disease in your soul that will tear you apart. It will tear you apart. When we live in a manner dependent on ourselves, trusting in oneself, not only for the decision that we've made, but for the outcomes that we will achieve, there is a disease that happens in our soul when our expectations aren't met. You know this, right? Because you've had aspirations for your career and then it didn't turn out, and that was a disease in your soul. A discontentment with God's plan. A frustration with employer or manager or coworker. Self-confident living can be a disease. It can kill us. It can eat us alive. Self-confident plans that lead to unmet expectations can also be devastating to a marriage, right? Maybe you're in a marriage right now and you're like, you're not who I thought you were when I first started dating you. This isn't the marriage that I thought it was going to be, right? I thought when I got this job, things were going to be different. I thought when I moved to this state, Things were going to be different. I thought when I put my kids in this school, I thought when I started going to, dare I say, this church, things were going to be different. Not everyone ran up and hugged me and welcomed me like I thought they should. You see, the disease of unmet expectations, we have a plan and we boast in our arrogance. When our expectation of outcomes are not the outcomes that we thought they would be. God is reminding us in James that we should be living active lives of faithful dependence. Think about that for just a moment though. This, this arrogance and this boasting. like it, it hit me late in the day yesterday. How arrogant is it for me to plan a way and the Lord to direct my steps and be like, 
God, what are you doing? How arrogant of me, finite man, finite wisdom, finite strength to make a plan. And when God interjects just a little bit, he just kind of directs my steps. I'm like, whoa, God. You know, one of those satirical news websites ran a headline recently. It said, minimum wage worker viciously debating decisions of richest man in the world. Right? How, how silly is that? How silly is that? We can, we can throw stones all we want, but how silly is that for us to sit in judgment on infinitely wise, infinitely loving, all-powerful God when he directs our steps? You've done this in the workplace, right? You know, sometimes, you know, you put together some work and you show it to your manager. He's like, oh, you need to fix that. Or you need to fix that or whatever. And we accept that. We kind of understand that. We understand that there's people that have been doing this thing longer than we have, and maybe we should accept their wisdom. But when Ben Scarborough sets a plan, it's a plan, and God doesn't get to touch it. He doesn't get to direct my way, right? What boastful arrogance. We should be just as faithful, just as submissive, just as humble in the decision-making and the planning of the plan as in the execution of the plan and the accepting of the outcomes. In fact, probably even more so, right? It's easy to say, if the Lord wills, we will go and do this thing. It's hard the next day to say, because the Lord willed, here I am. Here I stand. Here I will obey. Here I will be faithful. And then I thought again, and I thought, how gracious and kind and loving is our God to take our imperfect plans and direct them for his good, for our good and his glory, right? <laughs> what kind of loving God would we have if he's like, oh, that looks like a terrible plan. Good luck with that. No, he is kind and good and gracious. Do we thank him when he changes our plan for his glory and our good? You ought to, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This right thing, this beautiful thing, this praiseworthy thing, contrasted with the evil of verse 16. He's saying, you know the right thing to do. If you're sitting here this morning, if you've been sitting here the past few weeks, you've been hearing about the book of James, you've been hearing from the book of Hebrews, you've been hearing words of eternal life, you have been hearing the will of God as written in the pages of scripture, commands to you and I. You know what the right thing to do is. You know what the commands of scripture are. We just need to do them. We just need to do them. We just need to act. Commentator Blue writes this, he says, it is likely that chapter four's concluding sentence, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins, is related not only to the matter of boasting, but also to all the advice given thus far in the epistle. The letter abounds with exhortations to do good. To fail to comply is clearly sin. To attain spiritual maturity, a believer must do the good he now knows. He must stand confidently on God's word, even in trials and temptations. He must compassionately serve his brethren without prejudicial favoritism, but with practical faith. He must speak carefully with a controlled tongue and wise cultivated thought. He must submit in contrition to his all-powerful father, lawgiver, and judge with a humble spirit, just action, and a trusting heart. 
He must be what God wants him to be, do what God wants him to do, speak as God wants him to speak, and sense what God wants him to sense. That is what God has called us to do. To one who knows the right thing to do, God has called you and I to do it. He has called us to do it. Anything less than that is sinful, willful rebellion against our creator. It is boasting in our arrogance. Come now, you who say. What are you saying today? What are you saying in your mind? What are you saying in your heart? What are you saying about your plans? What are you saying about tomorrow? What are you saying about next week? Are you holding them in a boastful, arrogant way? Or are you trusting in the sovereignty of our Lord and Savior? As we close, we're going to just remind ourselves of three things that we've talked about along the way. Living what we learn. Number one, we want to make plans in view of God's sovereignty. Make plans in view of God's sovereignty. James does not call us to stop making plans. He tells us to continue making plans. We make them in a God-dependent way, recognizing who he is, what his nature is, and who we are in relation to him. He's called us to humbly accept God's direction of your plans. Humbly accept God's direction of your plans. This week, something is going to not turn out the way that you thought it would. And you can say, God, thank you for giving me this redirection. Thank you for giving me this trial. Thank you for refining me in this way. Or you can spit in his eye and say, who are you? Will we submit ourselves to him today, humbly accepting God's direction of our plans? And thirdly, know what is right and do it. Know what is right and do it. For Sean said, the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Be the one who does the will of God this week. Let's go out actively living in faithful dependence on the God who saved us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that you have given us yourself, your son. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Father, you are sovereign over all. Not only have you given us everything that we need in this book to make good and wise decisions, you have said that once we make those decisions, you will be there along the way, course correcting us exactly into your perfect will for your glory and our good, that we might be conformed to the image of your son, that we might be refined through trials, that we might understand what it is to live a life that pleases and honors you. Father, may this week, might we live lives that are dependent on you. Father, if the Lord wills, might we faithfully serve you today for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.